0: Hello and welcome to Today in Space. I hope you are well. Before we start this episode, where we're going to talk about the amazing new boom in human spaceflight that we're having, we're going to talk about NASA and SpaceX and Polaris Dawn. There's a lot to talk about here. But it's important for us to also, especially since it's January, pause here before we talk about human spaceflight, which is a grand endeavor. Um, and true exploration at its finest, we want to take a moment of silence before we start this episode for the Day of Remembrance for the Apollo 1 mission and Space Shuttle's Challenger in Columbia. It's 20th anniversary, which is a weird thing to say, of the Columbia incident, and their legacy is here to help remind us as we get ready for this new charge for human spaceflight that we have to be vigilant, we have to stay on top of things, and we need to learn from their legacy, from their missions, how to prevent this in the future and to and to keep continuing past their sacrifice. So a moment of silent for a moment of silence for the crews of Apollo 1, STS-107, and STS-51L. Now let's start the show. May their memory be eternal. Hello and welcome to Today in Space, the all things space science podcast where we follow and share the most exciting things in the busy and ever-evolving space industry so that you don't have to. I am your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Girafanos, and we are recording this from planet Earth. The date is January 25th, 2023, and... It's episode 295. We're here to catch up on some space news. Wait, is it 295 or is it 296? It actually is 296. Things have been a little messed up since our last episode. (laughs) The last start of the year, oof, it has been uh, certainly not what anyone planned for, and not what I planned for. Uh, The lab went down, the Mac had some issues, an old corrupt drive that we had to completely back up and then reformat. But the studio is back. We have our cameras up and running. Our audio appears to be working. So uh, we are here for this new episode. We've got some space news here from this month since the beginning of the year that we're going to cover. We've got a ton of stuff this week. We have a uh, human spaceflight. We're going to talk about the Polaris program. We're going to talk about the Starship, which is in Boca Chica getting ready. And in Florida, they're working on it, too. So lots of exciting things. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. uh, And it's also brought to you by our 3D printing lab, AG3D Printing. Thank you for joining us. And let's dive in. Let's talk about the human spaceflight aspect. And let's discuss Polaris and Starship. So one of the missions that I'm very excited about for that's coming up here soon, is the Polaris Dawn mission. Uh, if if you haven't followed already, the first all-civilian mission to orbit occurred with the Inspiration4 team. They actually went higher in altitude than the International Space Station. The whole part of the mission is is to help push forward this idea of human exploration and and to to make humanity better. Jared Isaacman is the commander of that. There's a competition. People were chosen. And the inspiration for we're able to go into space and travel on a SpaceX Crew Dragon, and really a mission of a lifetime. those All the folks on that mission are really inspirational. That team is very powerful. And that's what I love about the Polaris Dawn mission, is, is even more than, I would say, what we have today for, for astronauts. Yes, we have the expeditions on the International Space Station, and by no means are those any kind of joke or that, or that they're not doing anything, but... The sense of team, and and I think part of that is the focus, right? There's only four people on that one mission, uh, and and it's somewhat brand new, you know. It's an all first all civilian mission, uh, going higher now to do the internet. There, there's some buzz, right? So, the Polaris Dawn mission is the set of missions afterwards where Jared Isaacman is going to be the commander, but they're also going to bring in, to be bringing this next crew up there. To actually perform a spacewalk while they're out there. And again, pushing boundaries, going farther again than uh, other missions have gone before and setting records for humans in space that is not orbiting the moon. So pushing that distance and that boundary with the Crew Dragon. So I love following this mission. Seeing the Crew train has been something that I really fell in love with during the Inspiration 4 mission. And so I've been. Loving these updates for the Polaris Dawn crew, and so I want to share some of that with you guys because you may not have seen it. And if you did, I would love to know what you think about it, what what you're looking forward to, and like what's your favorite part of these private uh, all civilian missions are. It seems like these astronauts are almost in a in a group of their own. Uh, you know, you could bundle the the Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic astronauts in one bucket because the term astronaut is now taking on a new definition. Space flyers, as I think we were going to call them here on the podcast. And then there is like the Inspiration4 where they legitimately went to space and uh, were experiencing all the risk and flight uh, that's involved in doing so. So the Polaris Dawn mission recently was training. And they participated in a decompression sickness study at NASA's Johnson Space Center Over in Texas, the Polaris Dawn crew. This article here is from polarisprogram.com. So, if you want to follow along, they have their mission. The cause for the mission is St. Jude's Hospital. They have a bunch of science and research that they have kind of planned. Who knows what they're going to finally do, but get to know the team, get to know the mission. We have four astronauts. So, you know, Jared Isaacman, the mission commander. Scott Poteet is the mission pilot, a friend of Jared Isaacman's. Uh, Sarah Gillis is mission spe- specialist. She is the person who, especially if you watch the Netflix documentary for the Inspiration 4, Sarah Gillis was uh, the mission, the team's uh, like mission sherpa. She was the one who was talking to them through all the good and the bad that happened during the mission. She helped train them. She walked them through this whole thing so that... Now she gets to be a part of this. It's just so cool. So it's really cool to see Sarah there as a mission specialist and Anna Manon, who is a mission specialist and medical officer. And this f- team of four is going to be pushing the bounds of space and research. So the Polaris Don crew participated in a decompression sickness Study to characterize the risk of the planned Polaris Dawn decompression profile in the 20 foot chamber at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, December 18th to the 20th. The facility originally served as a platform for similar atmospheric modulation tests in the early 1970s, ahead of NASA's missions to Skylab, the U.S.'s first space station. The risk of decompression, it says here, sickness is lowered when the amount of nitrogen is reduced in one's body. Current extravehicular activities, or EVAs, decompression models, such as those used on the International Space Station, the place where they do spacewalks now, achieve this during a long-duration, 100% oxygen pre-breathe exercise in an airlock. The Dragon spacecraft, however, does not have an airlock, which is one of the challenges here requiring the vehicle, including crew members, to completely decompress down to vacuum with a limited pre-breathe. So let's just break that down. They are going to be opening up the capsule to space so that they conduct a spacewalk while they're going up there, and they're exposing their crew chambers because it's a capsule. So everyone is going to be in suits. They're going to be doing a decompression in order to do that. So they all have to train for that. I mean, this is... A lot of these private missions, and I think this also comes over from, like, tech in general, like this hype machine. There's no hype here other than what's happening. These human beings are putting their lives on the line to show us what's possible. Now, the crew here, they lived in the chamber for just under two days, simulating the mission's expected pressure and oxygen profiles to determine how likely it is for DCS symptoms to occur, if at all. Throughout the test, a team of medical professionals monitored the crew for symptoms, ready to intervene and provide immediate medical treatment if necessary. In addition to characterizing DCS risk, the event allowed the crew and teams to practice monitoring for and reporting EVA-related medical information over communication loops ahead of the mission's actual spacewalk. Something I love about space missions, especially when there's humans involved, but we've also seen this with rovers and stuff like that, is the tests how do you test and, and if you don't know what I'm talking about if you've seen the movie the Martian and how they tested the rover on the planet earth and then they could do the same thing with Mark Watney while he was on Mars being able to test and do an accurate test as close to the real thing as possible means that you're preparing for the real thing so this type of stuff is super important for them to get ready. If they can practice, you know, oh, that feeling that I'm feeling, this is decompression sickness. I need to report this. And when you feel that bad, have you ever felt that bad before? So like testing it and doing all these things beforehand are huge. And the thing that really blows me away are, are the images that were taken on this mission. And, and just seeing the real people do these things. I mean, it, it seems simple, but it's it's not. And this is what's so beautiful about human space flight and combining the scientific mindset and, and, and challenging the current truth that we have today, right? That's the scientific thought process, right? It's, it's like you have a scientific mindset. You're constantly probing and, and questioning these things on what is real right now. What is the universe telling us that's real? And seeing these humans train like this and seeing them put on the masks and, and, and train in the place where they're preparing for decompression, that makes it real to me. You know, that that to me gives me data in my head to say, and these people are really going out there to, to risk their lives. So a little bit emotional here on the podcast, but it's true. I, you know, robotic space travel is the least least risky space travel that we can do because human lives aren't at stake when there's a rover landing on Mars but uh there's something about exploration and what we've seen in the last decade about like what's gone on with the interest in space robotic missions unfortunately just they just don't carry that that extra oomph that a mission like this carries now whenever there are humans involved there has to be a heightened level of safety and making the right decisions. And you have to balance that with not also overthinking it to the point where that then that can cause issues being too safe uh, and not making the decisions you have to make in time. So it's a great reminder that when human lives are at stake, we need to really step up our game and even though that risk is always there, good training, I mean Apollo 13 is a great example that I think everyone Uh, is at least somewhat aware of, of things can go wrong, horribly wrong, to the point where it's almost impossible for them to come home. But if everyone can come together to solve that issue, then then what what is there that we can't accomplish? So the Polaris Dawn mission training continues. The next time they have another training here, we'll dive into it. If you guys want us to do a whole episode talking about what this training is for these astronauts, I'd love to. Let me know. Hit us up in the comments for this episode. Email us at todayinspacepodcast.gmail.com or follow us anywhere online, uh, todayinspacepod on Instagram, todayinspacepodcast on Facebook, and todayinspace on TikTok. <laughs> That's it, folks. That is our Polaris Dawn recap. Looking forward to the real thing. Breaking news. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. No more using the Lawnmower 4.0 for your face. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now, you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using code SPACE for 20% off and free shipping. Now, I personally just started using the Manscaped Beard Hedger Pro, and I got the kit from Manscaped, and, you know, I've never really taken care of my beard before, so I was really interested to see if there was anything to this, and there's so much involved here. I really enjoyed it, and just the whole experience. I think that's what I liked about the Lawnmower 4.0, and the whole Manscaping experience that Manscaped brings to make things easier and simpler and have the right tools. And let me tell you, this Beard Hedger Pro is legit. So it's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, which I've had for a long time. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscape's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more ne- messy drawers full of extra add-ons. I can't tell you how many times I've poured out the bag that has my beard trimmer in it. And then all the the different size things are there. And I can never find the one I actually want when I first start, which is ridiculous because I would only ever use one anyways. I would only have one length and then maybe I would use a second one. This has every single length that you need and it's really cool because the blade moves up towards the comb that's on the beard trimmer and it's it's legit it's tight it's got a titanium coated t-blade there's also in the pro kit uh dermatologist tested formulations for post-trim care and again something i've never done with my beard although you know i've seen guys who take care of their beards legitimately and they look great and they don't seem you know i would just get dry skin and, and things would pull and snag and i'd get Hairs that would uh, cross over and like tangle up. The beard shampoo and conditioner helps soften things up, clean things up. Uh, that's one of the other things about having a beard. is like it just gathers things. It's a it's a filter. <laughs> um, so having the beard shampoo and conditioner is huge. The beard oil, which I just tried, uh, is really nice, and they, they're calling it an essential piece for your man facial, uh, your main facial accessory. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. Over here, uh, used to be, uh, the oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. (laughs) Oh, that's the end of the sentence. (laughs) Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm, a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames the sculpted look that attracts any fellows or dames. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. All very good. I'm going to start using that more and more. I'm starting with my first beard here, and it's going to grow, and I'm going to actually do this for the first time. Uh, so I will. you'll be following my progress here, and if you're interested, get 20% off and free shipping with this code SPACE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping, at manscaped.com and use the code word space, manscaped beer hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Thanks for supporting us, Manscaped, and now back to the show. And in more human spaceflight news, uh, or really human spaceflight development news, uh, down in Boca Chica, Texas, for the first time ever the world's most powerful rocket no not nasa's space launch system although it holds the record at the moment but spacex's starship has been fully stacked in boca chica and was fully fueled went through a wet dress rehearsal for spacex's starship now i am personally looking forward to this launching because if it happens to launch on a day where i can Fly down to Texas. I am going to try and see this thing. This, and the reason we're bringing this up in the human spaceflight mission is because Starship has a lot riding on it. Not only is it a mission that was designed by SpaceX to really uh, skyrocket above what, what we can do to send humans right now. You know, uh, four people, potentially up to six people. Uh, you know, we were talking about with the whole issue on the space station right now where the only human rated capsule, the Soyuz uh, had a leak and it will not be able to bring people back. We're potentially talking about the idea of setting up a crew dragon. That's four people rated that could be used to bring back five people. That discussion doesn't even compare to what Starship is able to do. And Starship is able to bring up to a hundred people at once from one location to the other. And not only that, Not just like an orbiter or a capsule that would need a lander to go back down. Starship is the lander. It is the rocket. It is the spaceship. It's the lander. And one day on Mars, it could also be the living quarters. It is that massive in scale that it's hard, even myself. I haven't seen it in person. I've seen the numbers. I've seen the size. But it just... Even to me, it doesn't make sense. So when I'm saying it's crazy, really take a second to think about how much room there would have to be to actually take 100 people and how much extra room you'd have if you only brought, like, the Dear Moon mission, uh, eight artists, and uh, Yusaku Maezawa. So there is a massive spaceship, a legitimate spaceship, that is finally fully fueled and uh, dress, wet dress rehearsal went great. And there's a lot of things that are really important to know from a wet dress rehearsal. First, fueling. Fueling is uh, very complicated. There is a lot of temperature differentials, especially out in Texas with that liquid fuel being pumped in there at cryogenic temperatures. You know, we just saw NASA's SLS have a whole summer where they dealt with leaks. And that's partly because liquid hydrogen is the smallest uh, element that we know of and it just if there's a really hot florida summer like there was things are not going to seal right (laughs) and with the smallest element it's going to leak so seeing this go successfully here uh down in texas gives me lots of hope and let's be honest if there's an organization that's had a lot of experience with fueling things especially recently It's SpaceX. I mean, they had 61 launches last year, and they're already zooming through launches this year. We've seen a Falcon Heavy. We've seen multiple Falcon 9s. They're trying to hit 100 launches this year. So as far as moving cryogenic fuel uh, in and out of a vehicle, uh, to see them succeed on this first try with Starship, I'm not entirely surprised, especially since they control so much about the rocket itself. And I'm sure they're taking lessons from Falcon 9 and applying them to Starship. And I'm sure there's plenty of lessons that don't correlate at all. (laughs) And that's why it's taken so long to get here. But it's stacked. It was fueled. And they went through the procedures of getting the rocket ready for launch. So we're seeing the first steps of this potential launch late February first, second week of March, nobody really knows yet. Even the SpaceX team doesn't know yet. It all depends on how far they get in their testing. And they made a big claim that the Dear Moon mission was going to launch this year. It's almost the end of January. We are seeing the first fueling of the Starship rocket uh, in the first stack, and that's a huge step for January. Depending on how this year goes... They get closer and closer to that reality. I still reserve saying that I believe it's going to happen this year, mostly because I would much rather be proven wrong uh, in that scenario. (laughs) So uh, the best of luck to to the SpaceX team. Starship, again, a huge step forward. And not only is it this giant innovation in the ability to send humans around in space and on other planets, but it's also a key piece of the infrastructure for the Artemis mission, where NASA's return to the moon is going to bring the first woman and the first person of color to step foot there. They will be stepping out of the starship. So having this go well this year and having all these tests is going to be really important. And a good question to ask, and and maybe there is no answer, but what would be better to test the speed at which SpaceX moves and progresses and tests and gathers data, versus how fast NASA gathers data. Now, two different approaches. I'm not gonna sit here. Uh, if you've listened to the show long enough, you you know a lot of my opinions about the differences between these approaches. But for the scientific thought process, it is an interesting two different approaches, right? Analyze and gather as much data as possible. Many many tests. Many experiments and many quick changes based on what you're seeing from those results can help bring you to the point where SpaceX is today where their Falcon 9 is launching on a regular basis, 61 launches last year, planning for 100 launches this year, reusable rockets that were not possible before. Or would you take the approach like the James Webb Space Telescope where it took 10, 15 years for it to really 20 really you know it took a long time for james o's space telescope to get to the point where it's giving us that data a lot of time crunching the same data and then making simulations to save money hypothetically or the time and effort and resources to build a second james o's space telescope to test you know what i mean so very different approaches both have been shown to be successful. um As far as getting us out into space and fighting the inevitable battle, which we've talked about before in this podcast, that funding for NASA is secured through politics, that money and the directive of NASA is not NASA's to direct. It is the agency in charge. It's a government agency. Now, to fight that potential four- to eight-year change, which we suffered through from the 90s through 2010, that flip-flopping doesn't do any good for NASA. But if there are companies like Blue Origin, like SpaceX, that can keep developing and pushing the directive forward, then and having the technologies being built, then NASA can survive another eight years, or at least has the ability to say, look, we already have this being developed Why don't we use this? Why don't we continue the mission? NASA gets it off their plate, which is not theirs to control. They can just say, look, America has many resources. We could do this. We could do that. But NASA can be the quarterback instead of having to play the whole field, instead of having to be the offensive line and the quarterback. I'm sorry if this football analogy doesn't work, but it makes a lot of sense to me. (laughs) NASA can't play defense and offense at the same time. So having these other companies is important. And SpaceX won this bid with Starship as the landing system because it allows NASA to do so much more with less money than the other options would have given. So there is a huge value add for Starship, and I cannot wait to see this thing launch. I hope you can't either. Let me know what you're excited about about Starship. Do you think uh, the Dear Moon mission is going to launch in 2023? Do you think that... The starship will be ready for Artemis 2. Let's see. Who knows? <laughs> but a very exciting time for space, especially for human space flight. We're entering potentially a whole new era with capabilities we never had before. So lots of exciting stuff. And I hope that I have the chance to go down to Texas to see it launch for the first orbital launch ever. First time that full rocket launches Uh, But we also get to see a lot of static fires with those Raptor 2 engines, and I am pumped to see a lot of that. So uh, if you don't already follow NASA Spaceflight for that, they are great at covering everything launch-related, so go check them out. (laughs) That's it, folks. Uh, For the human spaceflight section of this week, Starship is going to be great. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode two ninety six. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening this far into the episode. That's freaking amazing. So we appreciate you. Um, you know, make sure to follow us on social media. Connect with us. We're 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 building our little community, our space community, on our, our tiny spaceship today in space uh, across the internet and into the multi multiverse. <laughs> uh, but just wanted to say. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting us, uh, whether it's through AG3D Printing, or 3D printing lab where we bring ideas into reality, or through our sponsor Manscaped and things like the brand new uh, Beard Hedger uh, and the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, or by simply listening, subscribing, liking our posts, sharing our posts, and telling someone else who's into science and space and Telling them about us. We appreciate you. Thank you for all the growth we've had over the years. Um, and yes, for another episode. This is 2023.